welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. I am one of your hosts today, Jen, and I am joined by the fantabulous Jessica, and not Lady Jessica from Dune. <laughs> and it's like it's very funny to me because I, it makes me very happy that like my name is used for a character in a sci-fi uh, series <laughs> like that. So uh, yes, I am Jessica, um, the librarian, um, <laughs> not Lady Jessica. I don't know any um, of those hand signals to communicate, but I wish I did. Yet, yeah. <laughs> Yet. And we are here with a fantastic author who joined us last year with a book about Star Trek that was one of my favorite books of the year. Uh, and I am so excited to talk about this next one. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Sure. I'm Ryan Britt. I am the author of The Spice Must Flow, uh, which is a new uh, nonfiction book about the whole history of Dune. Um, and I just want to say Jessica saying Jessica the librarian does not make you sound any less sci-fi. That just sounds awesome. more, right? Like, doesn't that just sound more like a sci-fi, like, 100%. title, you know, like. Not... For, for sure, but I still do want to <laughs> learn those hand signals to communicate. It would be so helpful. <laughs> you know, it's funny, the hand signals show up in the later books. Like, they're not as prominent in the first book. Um, but they in the movie, they have them, you know, they have her doing the hand signals in the the, the Venuve movie. Uh, but yeah, I was reading, uh, you know, rereading all the books for um, researching this book. I was like, oh, it's really in Children of Dune where they really do the hand signal thing more, um, which is something I had forgotten. <laughs> well, this is such a fun book and it's such a fun world to explore. And it's an interesting turn, uh, you know, from the Star Trek book because Star Trek is very utopian and aspirational. And Dune, like, isn't really. Like, I don't know if we want to live in the world of Dune the no. same I want to no. live in the world of Star Trek. <laughs> so, what inspired that turn? And, you know, how did you pick this next project from that? Well, I think that ultimately, um, Star Trek and Dune have similar messages, oddly. It's just like how they're depicted, right? Like Dune is sort of like, this is what how things kind of go wrong. And Star Trek is kind of like, this is how things go right. But I would say that the moral uh, sort of um, messaging is somewhat similar, right? Like, um, you know, I, same with Star Wars, right? Like Star Wars is very different than Star Trek, but it's not like the people that live in an oppressive galaxy are like, yay, <laughs> you know? Um, whereas the people that live in in the Star Trek, you know, galaxy are, are kind of like, we have it pretty good, but it could be better. Um, I think that Herbert, I mean, Her Frank Herbert, first of all, was one of the first science fiction authors to sign a petition to keep Star Trek on the air in 1966, right? Before the fan one, Frank Herbert was one of those science fiction authors, including Arthur C. Clarke and Robert Heinlein, that Harlan Ellison contacted to say, hey, we're sending this petition to NBC to save Star Trek. And Herbert signed off on that. What he thought of Star Trek in general is sort of like unknown. But at the time in the 60s, you know, he was supportive of serious science fiction. So, you know, I think that um, to answer your question more directly is that I like writing about um, science fiction franchises that have um, multiple messages. Right. And I think that uh, Dune doesn't necessarily depict what its message is. Right. It's not like it's not like, you know, becoming a tyrant is good. You know, it's saying but it's saying like this is how it could happen. 
Um, I, I think that my Star Trek book was um, about metamorphosis, right? Like radical metamorphosis of pop culture and science fiction ideas um, throughout several decades. Um, and I think that the Dune book I learned as I was writing it is about contradictions. Um, it's about like holding um, sort of contradictory ideas in your mind simultaneously. And I think the best science fiction does that, right? Um, why did I decide to do another book like write? I mean, I was writing this as Phasers on Sun was coming out. Um, it just hadn't been done. No one had done it. Um, no one had, you know, with the Star Trek book, a billion people had been like, here's the whole history of Star Trek. And I was like, yes, but I'm going to do it funnier and faster um, and more updated. But with Dune, I, I kind of realized that, you know, Brian Herbert had written that nice, wonderful biography of his father. Um, there had been lots of books about the individual films. Um, and there had been a lot of academic texts that focused on very specific things, but there was nothing that was just for a regular reader coming in in 2023 who perhaps was interested in the novels because of the new film um, that was like, hey, how did this start? You know, you kind of have to go to this truncated Wikipedia page or, you know, a sort of half completed list on a website. And I thought, you know, it would be really nice to um, do this and, and do it in the same style as my other books um, that was really accessible. And and um, but yeah, I mean, the first, as you know, the first five chapters are pretty much publishing and literary history. And so I liked being able to do a book that started as kind of a literary history book that kind of became sort of like a Hollywood did you know book. As you were talking, yeah, that did remind me that, yeah, they're both like um, transmedia uh, right. franchises as well. Yes, yeah, so you get to trace them um, across multiple media. And would you say that you think, um, you know, they both thrive in a particular one of those forms? Or is it sort of like the more of the the hold greater of the parts, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, Star Trek is interesting because, you know, the two biggest science fiction franchises, right, Star Trek and Star Wars, like that, that's, you know, Doctor Who's like close third, right? They all have literary components, right? Like Star Trek relied very heavily on um, 1960s science fiction authors as some of its writers. And then as time went on, book writers were integral to keeping Star Trek alive. Nicholas Meyer was a Sherlock Holmes novelist who wrote and directed Star Trek throughout the con. I just literally bumped into Michael Shabone in a local Portland bookstore um, here in Portland, Maine um, on Friday. And we were chatting, you know, he's the co-creator of Star Trek Picard, but of course is be better known as, you know, and he's a massive Dune fan. You know what I mean? Um, but Star Trek and then, you know, of course, George Lucas was very influenced by a lot of different science fiction literature, including Dune to do Star Wars. So, um, you know, Douglas Adams wrote Doctor Who in the 70s. Right. So like there's like that. I mean, that's I was just watching City of Death the other day, which was a Douglas Adams sort of edited script from the Tom Baker years. And it's just like got all it came out the same year as as uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, this particular Doctor Who stretch of episodes. It's like mind blowing. But it has all of that literary wit. So I think the best science fiction um, TV and film franchises often have literary roots. Dune, though, is primarily books. Right. Like and I think what is so fascinating about Dune and I knew this a little bit from working in science fiction publishing when I was a bit younger, and some of that's in the book about working with David Hartwell, who was the editor on Children of Dune. I worked with him towards the end of his life. He, in the 70s, was the guy who pressed Putnam to, to make Children of Dune a higher print run, because at that time he knew that it was a phenomenon, is that science fiction novels as bestsellers we owe to Dune. 
And that is very interesting, right? Like if you're just a book person and you're someone who says SF and not sci-fi because you're talking about print versus visual, then Dune is, it is the Lord of the Rings of science fiction, right? It is the thing that um, has not really been surpassed. And so, something that I was talking with my agent and my editor at, at Penguin about when we were doing this, is like, well, we know people buy Dune books, um, you know, because they've been buying them for 60 years. Um, and so I think that tracing the like, ooh, we almost didn't get a book version of Dune and it almost just sort of languished in magazine format because um, it was published as serials in analog magazine from 63 to 64. Um, that was really fascinating to me to like, because you read these things, articles online, it'll be like one line. It'll be like, Dune was rejected 20 times and then it was bought by Chilton Books. And it's like, wait, 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 what? How did that happen? Like what it was the you know process there you know so you know I I spent several pages on that you know what I mean I I, I went through all the letters and you know cross referenced some things so um and I'm a book person you know and I love like you say the science fiction that is transmedia the expanse books and the expanse shows and you know you know or fantasy with Lord of the Rings and you know all that stuff but it is interesting that I would I would probably say that the best version of Dune is still that those novels particularly those first three. Um, and if you want proof of that, you know, like you don't have to take my word for it. Just like read it and also talk to any writer in any genre who likes Dune, because it's not just science fiction uh, writers. It's people that are much more talented and smarter than me, like Michael Shabone or my friend Karen Russell. They love Dune. And there's got to be a reason why these different types of novelists um, are so drawn to it. Um, and so that to me is like was the most important thing to celebrate at least in the first half of the book so was there anything um that you kind of like while you were doing research for this book that you kind of discovered that uh you hadn't known before that just like got you really really excited quite a bit um honestly um quite a bit um the fact that children of dune had been a um the first proper science fiction hardcover new york times bestseller wasn't something that I knew. It's kind of buried in Brian Herbert's biography of his father. And then finding out that I had worked with the editor, David Hartwell, who made that happen was like really touching. Um, discovering, uh, you know, I got to talk to Frank Herbert's widow, Theresa Shackelford, who was his third wife, who frankly had not been interviewed in any capacity since the 80s. Um, and um, I tracked her down um, and she was super amazing. And like, Learning from her, her origin story of how she met him was, I mean, I didn't know at all. I think that I, I sort of erroneously had assumed that like he had had a mistress while Beverly was sick, but that wasn't the case at all. She was a publicist working on uh, the Heretics of Dune tour, hadn't, didn't know anything about Frank Herbert, didn't want to do the publicity tour, didn't want to be the publicist. She wanted to do a different book. And got assigned to him by putting him as a publicist. And then they ended up falling in love. And I didn't know that. You know what I mean? At all. And this is the person that was with him until he died that, you know, um, was a little younger than him. But, you know, she was 30. She was an adult. She knew what she was doing, you know. And um, just a lovely, brilliant, nice, down-to-earth down to human being, Theresa Shackelford is, um, who was a book person, right? Like, she worked in the book business. And so I connected with her on that. I thought that was really amazing. Uh, she was really gracious with her time. Uh, learning that Sterling Lanier, the editor at Chilton Books, who bought Dune, um, was this like massive Lord of the Rings 
aficionado and that's something that you could find online but like if you start connecting the dots and like really like researching it's really interesting because you're like this guy was sending hand carved you know little lord of the rings figurines to J.R.R. tolkien in the mail and this is the guy who was like i'm gonna call this guy's literary agent and see if i can buy dune for my automotive repair manual day job that i work at you know, like that is bananas. And that detail is known, but people generally say it very glibly. They say, ha ha ha, isn't it funny that Dune was bought by Chilton Books, which is an automotive repair manual. And I'm like, isn't it funny that the person who made that call was this massive Lord of the Rings fan who was a science fiction scholar and writer in his own right, who literally just took his day job's money and was like, I'm going to make Dune into a book. And like, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Like, I don't know if I would be the same kind of reader had this extremely sweet, hilarious man done that, you know, who then meanwhile was mailing J.R.R. Tolkien a copy of Dune and Tolkien's like, I hate Dune, <laughs> you know? So I I think that like, there you go. Contradictory thoughts, right? Holding contradictory thoughts in your mind. A massive Lord of the Rings fan is responsible for giving us Dune, but the creator of Lord of the Rings hated Dune. And I can like kind of get it, right? Like I kind of get why J.R.R. Tolkien might have hated Dune. It doesn't diminish my love of Dune or my my love of The Hobbit, right? Like it doesn't diminish those things at all. We all see the connections between Lord of the Rings and Dune. Frank Herbert probably didn't care, you know, and I say that in my book. So but what's interesting is that the readers, right, the readers br bring those things together. And I think that's really interesting because that's how the history of reading and the history of publishing is sort of, it's that, that relationship with the books and the readers that sort of unfolds. Those are both two amazing anecdotes. And it does tie to a question that I had about your interviews, because something that I had thought about the Star Trek book as well was that like, gosh, all these people are so eloquent when talking about their roles and their involvement here. And they all have such interesting perspectives like years later and stuff like that. And I remember like just thinking that the people said such interesting things. And so like when you're talking to people, like what are your techniques, very selfishly, for getting like the best stories out of people? <laughs> well, as you know, you don't always use everything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, you don't uh, always use everything. I don't know. I, I think that I have this, I have to learn the process over all, all over again. You know what I mean? Every time I interview anybody, um, I think that my key thing I try to do is to not waste their time with a question they've answered before. Um, and so I try to do a little research ahead of time. However, I will say that sometimes it's good to ask somebody a question they've been answered asked before if you let them know that you're about to do that, <laughs> you know, so like um, Kyle McLaughlin, right? Brilliant Kyle McLaughlin. Um, again, like, you know, with Star Trek, I'd been doing a lot of um, journalistic work on it, just sort of like for articles weekly for my different day jobs. So like I had a lot of material and I kind of knew how to get hold of Star Trek actors. With this, it was very much in the wilderness where I was like, I want, I want, I had gotten Timothy for a magazine article I'd done for Den of Geek in 2021 and he was wonderful and that sort of inspired me to do the book um just like being like talking to Timothy Chalamet on the phone and being like this is amazing you know I'm talking to Timothy Chalamet this is before the movie came out you know what I mean and so that was kind of like the inkling I was like in 2021 summer I was kind of like hmm, maybe I should do a dune book like because I was so moved by that conversation and it wasn't very long right 
but you know, as a writer and as an essayist, you're always like, you know, you know, I mean, David Sedaris can, you know, look at a peanut and turn that into 5,000 words. And that's amazing. So I'm like, you know, I can stretch Chalamet, you know, to a couple pages, you know, <laughs> um, but um, so even getting Kyle and Alec who played Alec Newman, who played Paul in the 2000 and the 2003 miniseries was like, I was just really having to, you know, like, let's get on, you know, IMDb. Let's find their agent. That didn't work. Let's find somebody else who's their publicist. That didn't work. Let's see if we can track them down um, and and really make it clear that this isn't like a super geeky, you know, deep dive. This is like a let's let's have fun and talk about Dune. Um, so with Kyle, I had to ask him some questions he'd been asked before, Jen. You know what I mean? Um, and Jessica, like I had to be like, okay. Um, I'm about to ask you something that I know you've answered before because I have this magazine from 1985 in which you were asked this question. Um, but I would like to get my own version of it, is what I said to him. And he said, you know what? I don't mind answering those questions because it's sometimes people get things confused or they get taken out of context. So I'm happy to go over this again. You know what I mean? Um, so I got my version, right, of Kyle's origin story of, you know, being in Seattle, working in theater, and then David Lynch is casting people coming in and sort of, you know, discovering him. It's not too different than the other versions that he's, that he has said in other interviews, but it was my version of that, my conversation with him. So sometimes you have to be okay with your interview subject kind of like going into a story that you've actually already heard before because you've been doing research on a subject. And having interviewed Star Trek actors and uh star wars writers or you know anybody you know people that worked on james bond movies or whatever i often find that i'm like i've heard this one before you know and then you get scared because you're like oh i only have so much time you know um so i guess my other trick is also trying to figure out how to talk about something that i maybe know that i'm not going to use um just to lighten people up um, you know, um, you know, so that's something that I'll do because I, you know, you're doing a medium of podcasts and so you can edit stuff out too, but in print, you really can, right. You could be like, well, I kind of knew I wasn't going to use that, but I kind of wanted to like get on, on, um, the same page, um, and sort of be like an icebreaker or, or just, you know, a, an anecdote that I think that they'll appreciate that's quick and that can kind of, um, so I don't know a lot of different, but you know, the other thing is, is that, um, yeah to get people to talk about the thing briefly that you're not actually talking about so like i was able to get some quotes from patrick stewart for this book while i was interviewing him about a star trek thing right you know so like i'm interviewing him you know um like seven months before picard season three came out i'm like interviewing for that because i got sent sent it way early and it's like top secret and i'm doing like this interview with patrick stewart in the same i mean i'm on zoom in the same recording room i'm in now um and I was like, I'm going to slip in a Dune question in the middle of this interview because he is because it's going to break it up and it's going to be great because I'm working on this Dune book. And it was. He was like, oh, I'd love to talk about Dune. You know, and now you see his his autobiography just came out, his memoir, and he is very effusive about Dune. And I'm like, yeah, that's the same thing he said to me. He's got his story down, but it's OK that I got my version of it, you know, like um, and, uh, you know, something that really interested me, too, is that. You take uh, you look at the impact of the books and the way that it travels through these different media forms, but you also kind of look at the subtle ways in which it influenced other media around it. And it really prompted me to reconsider a lot of other like 
you know, sci-fi or horror or what genre, you know, whatever um, stuff that I had loved for years. Like you mentioned Beetlejuice, you know, and like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, I never even saw it in that lens. Like, so, yeah. Oh my God, really? Yeah, like that like- <laughs> The sandworms, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh yeah, you know. And so, <laughs> super fun, you know, once you kind of, you know, when you're reading the book and your head is sort of like in that space, it becomes like the lens with which you see all the media, you know, that you're watching. And it's really fun to like trace the evol- or the the influence, you know, of a property that way. So yeah, like what, um, like, did you rewatch a lot of the media also that it influenced, not just the- Yeah, deep- well, I yeah, like Tremors, you know, like I watched the first two Tremors movies, you know, and I was actually just texting with a friend because we were, he was like texting me his like Halloween- movie list he was doing with his wife and tremors was on there i was like ah you know i watched tremors when i was researching my dune book um you know um but you know there's also stuff jen you know that like i i felt like was so obvious that i didn't even get into like avatar you know what i mean where it's just like it's just dune with water okay it's just dune with water like it is but you know but it's also like sorry avatar people but it's also kind of like it's also really obvious in this way that like Dune is not, but you know, the flip side of that is like, you know, well, Cameron would, there's no way that he would have done those movies if Dune hadn't existed. Cause he just, it, it's just there. They just gave it to him. He's like, what if it was water and the, um, and the spice was the unobtainium and, and Jake is, it's not the Fremen. They're the Navi, you know, it's the same thing. Um, it, It's, it's such a ripoff that I actually was like, having a rant about this will actually be like sort of boring, <laughs> you know? And so I'll just save it for the interviews, you know, um, that I'm doing about it. But I think that that's, I think that that's sort of my, and maybe I should have put it in there in, upon retrospect because those are like some of the biggest movies ever. And I'm like, eh, maybe I missed out, but I was kind of like, ah, we kind of like hit the star Wars gong pretty hard in that one chapter. I didn't necessarily, and, and, and you know, I like avatar. Okay. I think that as a book science fiction person, it, it's sort of as eye rolly to me a bit because ultimately i don't need good special effects you you know what i mean like ultimately like when people are like oh but it's got great effects i'm kind of like well you know my wife and i just watched the new wes anderson shorts you know on netflix the other night and it's kind of like this is kind of like i just kind of want like a sci-fi movie like that you know what i mean like if like that's kind of what i love i love doctor who you know and i love the 84 dune film and it is was you know at the time that product the production values of that were very beautiful but they were also very ornate and intricate and specific um you know and then you watch like the 2003 children of dune with james mcavoy and like susan sarandon and you know some of those costumes are wild and i love that late 90s early aughts kind of like babylon five like we've got five dollars but let's make it look really nuts um you know so i don't so when it comes to dune's impact on things i'm like I'm a little bit more, and I mentioned this very briefly in the book, like, you know, Captain Sisko in Deep Space Nine doesn't really exist without Dune. You know, his story is kind of, Paul, he's kind of like Paul and Jessica as one character in a way. And, you know, I mentioned that briefly in my book that it's like, interestingly enough, this is like Deep Space Nine, you know, and then you get to, you know, they're, you know, he's seeing, you know, his mother created him and to be the the, the prophet. And, the, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, okay. And they, they're going to a planet. And, oh, I didn't want to come here, but I guess we're here, you know, and now we're taking over, Um, you know, so all that stuff, you know, and Ron Moore and those, those Star Trek writers would cop to that instantly. And it was like, oh yeah, that's totally Dune. Um, you know, but, you know, but I think that more subtle and, and made more interesting um, in that case. But yeah, I think that there's just, um, there's almost too much influence it has. You know, I had had like, I had, I had thought about writing about Grimes a little bit more than I did because I, you know, because it's like Grimes's first album was 
uh, called Gidi Primes, which is the the homeworld of the Harkonnens. And, you know, you see these interviews she did in Vanity Fair where she like she thinks she is Lady Jessica, you know, like and she's like, I am Lady Jessica and Elon Musk is Duke Leto. And I'm like, "Ah, Elon Musk is kind of like Leto the second. But, you know, whatever. Or he's like the Baron Harkonnen. I don't know. But they're definitely Dune characters, right? Like, you know, like Grimes and Elon Musk are definitely Dune characters. I'm not sure they're characters that we like. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not sure they're like people that we're like admire. But and so it was. But again, I was sort of like I was caught on how much I could really start stop talking about Dune. You know what I mean? I'm like, do I want to do like 2000 words on Grimes? I'm like, I think I might lose some people. You know, so it was almost like with the cultural references, I had to almost there's almost more than than I even could could mention. I thought uh, maybe if I do another edition, I might actually go further on that because I, I may have just been like so. I was like, no, no, bring it back to Dune, bring it back to Dune. You know that I I might have I might have maybe could have gone further. I don't know. Did you find yourself sort of um, rewriting and re-editing this one a lot um, because you wanted to put so much more in? I mean, it sounds, it, it, you know, it sounds um, like you had so much material to work with. And, you know, like, I, like, was it hard for you to kind of kill your darlings on this one? I'm pretty good at cutting things, I have to say, Jessica. You know, like, I'm pretty good at being like, OK, um, let's get real. Like, what like, is this dragging? You know, one one thing that I think um, we get to do in writing that we don't get to do in life is to be concise. Right. Like and I and like where you're like uh, my goal with my books and even small articles that I do online is to be like, this is like talking to me, but better because I'm not rambling, you know, and I've had a chance to sort of, you know, but but that I but that it would be a good a good uh, avatar for me, a good a good um clone of me my book or my article or essay or whatever um you know because i i think that um that's really the only way i've i've learned how to write so no i think that editing and i've told this to writing students for years is that you know cutting things is writing too um you know like that's it, it's also like whenever you like it's a decision a writer can make, right? Like if an editor comes back to you or a teacher and is like, I'd like more of this, you're always like, oh my God, what do they mean? That's so hard. But if somebody's like, you could probably cut this, you're like, thank God, it's a decision I can make, which is a yes or a no. Um, but yeah, I, I, there was a pretty big restructuring that was done kind of late in the game on this, which was to bring up some of the biographical material about Beverly Herbert a lot sooner in the book. Um, and so that was a big sort of rewrite. Um, and then I sort of, um, again, was sort of like, well, I don't know how bogged down I want to get on all the Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson sequel books. Because, and I did want to mention them, and I did want to talk about them in the context of 1999, 2000, and 2001, um, in terms of all of that. But to me, it was like, that's not the type of book this is. You know what I mean? This is not like a giant two volume, you know. And, you know, having worked in science fiction publishing and having worked for the publisher who put those out, I know that there's a fair amount of controversy that fans fans have strong feelings about them. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I didn't want to like, I definitely had some versions of those where I was perhaps a little bit more opinionated in some of those sections about those books. And then I was kind of like, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm just going to like talk about what they're about and how they influenced it. And I'm not going to like 
plant my flag one way or another, really, because I do like some aspects of those books, particularly some of the earlier ones from 99 and 2000. Um, but, you know, I think there's some other things where it's kind of like, well, there's a reason why the first three books by Herbert are the most popular still. And I like, you know, the the, the second three that he wrote, too. But, you know, those are all written pretty quickly in the 80s, you know, God Emperor and Heretics and Chapter House. And I think that there's a reason why the first three, the original Dune trilogy, are still extremely popular. And I think that it's just the characters. Um, so anything that got me away from like the the best parts of the characters of Dune, I was kind of like, I'm probably going to cut this, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm really interested in that divisiveness, um, not just about the books, but about like the movie adaptations, which mm -hmm. I feel like is another thing it shares with Star Trek. Like people tend to view those very yeah. uh, divisively too. Um, the David Lynch one is certainly extremely divisive, even though like the actors themselves often have good memories of being in it. I personally love it because I think it is the one that just captures like the the weirdness and the grossness. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah that's good. Perfect. Um, Perfect way of putting it. I love that. <laughs> and even the the newest one is, you know, even though it's critically acclaimed in a lot of ways, like people feel very divisive about that one, too. Like, mm -hmm. why, why do you think like, um, I mean, a lot of it is probably just online culture making everything divisive. Uh, like, why I mean, because, like, yeah, mm -hmm. I, no, I think because Dune has always been, you know, and this is something that I tried to fight back against. Right. Like I, I worked in uh, I worked in books. I've been working in bookstores since I was 17. Right. So I had a job at Barnes and Noble when I was in high school. And, you know. I had a lot of sci-fi reader friends who were older than me who were kind of my like, you know, it was like the record store in high fidelity. You know, they were all kind of snobby, but it was science fiction instead of records, you know. And I, you know, I made a joke in my first book about this in 2015, my first essay collection, where I was kind of like, you sometimes got the sense where it was like, you don't even get Dune. Like, even if, if you read Dune, you're going to ruin it. You know, like where it was like Dune was just too deep, man. You know, and I was kind of like, I'm going to push back against this. Like Dune is Dune is cool. And it's a, been a science fiction bestseller for a long time. And yes, there are nuanced, contradictory ideas within the novel and the subsequent sequels. But I don't think it's like this unknowable thing. So I think that there's been a fair amount of gatekeeping, right? Like in 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 the science fiction reader fandom, um, maybe, you know, it's possible that Herbert accidentally cultivated that himself by, you know, sort of claiming that it always had one sort of message when it has contradictory messages, right, within it. I mean, I say this in the book, but, you know, he he defends the ending of the first novel where Jessica says to Cheney, you know, history will call us wives. He defends this as high camp in 1968, 1969. And it's kind of like, is it though? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and, you know, the, and I, I talked to some scholars, Kara Kennedy is this great Dune scholar. And she's kind of like, well, you know, I actually think that you could read that ending in a feminist light because they're sort of rejecting, um, you know, the, the idea that they would need titles to bestow power and all this stuff. And I think that that's a fair reading of it, too. But I also understand, like, the opposite readings. The point is, is that, like, it's okay if people have different readings of Dune. And I think that there, even for the internet, that there was a fair amount of gatekeeping from folks to just be like, you don't understand, you've read this wrong. And I think that I heard that even when I was a teenager. And then as I became like a, like a science fiction sort of critic and sort of entertainment journalist, I was sort of like, these people didn't know what they were talking about. Like, it's okay to, you know, re read this in, in, in different ways. And I think that's true, true of Star Trek and Star Wars as well, right? I think that, that where there's like, you know, people like, oh, the point of this is like, no, 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 there's like multiple readings here. And, you know, 
Um, none of the readings are like oppression is good, you know, and bigotry is good. You know, none of those readings don't exist. Um, but I think that there are multiple nuances. And in terms of the divisiveness with the film adaptations, Jen, I agree with you. Like, I actually really love the Lynch version because it feels the most like a book, you know? And and it because all those voiceovers are like diet, you know, in turn, there's a roving omniscient, you know, narration to the novel where he's constantly in the head of, you know, um, you know, mate, uh, you know, uh, uh, the shout out mapes, or he's in the head of, you know, Jessica. And now we're now we're what is Thufer thinking? You know, all of that is nuts and hard to capture cinematically. So I think that Lynch, in the same way that we were talking about Wes Anderson earlier, where it's like having characters really inhabit short story characters rather than film characters where they're saying he said and she said you know and all that stuff lynch doesn't go that far with the 84 dune but i think that he he gets closer to like what it's like to read it so i i think that divisiveness is is just because it's a hard book to adapt because of the multiple points of view people are always like oh it's a hard book to adapt because of the the scale and the politics and the messaging i'm like i just think it's cuz it's got a lot of characters and that and that a lot of the and a lot of the information we learn from those characters is um in their heads right like we learn things about lady jessica in the second half of the book which i'm interested to see how the new now 2024 film um handles this um because it's like some of that some of the best stuff is when characters are sort of alone or reflecting and I, I think that Lynch tried to capture that. But one thing I will say about Dune that is very different than other science fiction franchises is that, you know, in Star Wars and in Star Trek or in Doctor Who or Lord of the Rings or whatever, there's some level of debate of like what is the best, right? And and that there are nuances where people will be like, no, 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 the next generation is definitely better than the original series. Original series, no, it's Deep Space Nine. Or, you know, with Star Wars, like, no, actually the prequels are George Lucas's vision and blah, blah, blah. There is a vanishingly small, you know, you get like, um, I should say, um, there's diminishing returns on that debate in Dune. It's like the first novel is the best one, <laughs> you know, and like there is like an overwhelming agreement on that from Dune fans. So it's like, you know, it's like if everybody that read Lord of the Rings said that The Hobbit was their favorite. No, there is like gradients there. People say, actually, I like Return of the King or, you know, whatever. And yes, people have said to me like, oh, well, people say God Emperors. And I was like, no, 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 no. Most people just say it's the first novel. And I think there's something to that that's interesting um, because he had really intended that first novel. He had tried to sell it at one point as three books, you know, because it, it there's a lot in it. Um, and, you know, I think that the first three books um, are do tell a very interesting story, but you can't beat the first book. You just can't beat it. And I think that um, that is telling. It's kind of like got it right right away. <laughs> you know, what's your favorite Dune do aspects like or do you have a favorite Dune book? Do you have a favorite Dune character? Both of you. I'm curious. The, the first book is my favorite. And, you know, even though. <sighs> Even though she is pretty divisive and there's really great reasons not to like her, I do really love Jessica. Like, I think she was, because of the time in my life when I read it for the first time, too, she was, like, one of the first women in sci-fi that was, like, allowed to be, like, really complex and have rough edges and not be likable or sexy, you know, which was a, lot, a thing for a lot of women in sci-fi for a long time. So I really appreciated at a young age that she was just allowed to be, like, a fully fleshed out character. And for me, I just love the mythology and the politics. Honestly, I really am a huge fan of 
big complicated stories with lots of um plot twists and lots of characters and you know things that feel very tangible even though they're not necessarily set in our world you 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 feel them you're like mm, okay this is a really just sort of um well thought out uh you know way to sort of bring those thoughts into um a science fiction aspect so you know and as a mythology fan myself you know obviously i just like all of the uh if I can jump on that, you're interviewing us now. This is a, the, the table. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I also love like um, that. It's a book where like it, it feels like the ideas or the the philosophy sometimes take precedence over the characters or the plot. But that word mm. that doesn't feel really heavy handed uh, or artificial. Like I don't feel like I'm ever you know reading like John Galt's monologue. You know, <laughs> like when I'm yeah. reading, you know, it's like it's very it centers the philosophy without while still being a novel that is like engaging. Well, I think that's what I meant when I was sort of trash talking Avatar is like yeah. that to me is the opposite of Avatar, right? Where like the characters do feel very like sort of like particularly the villains, like they feel very um, one dimensional and sort of just there to do and say the things that the philosophy of the movie is trying. But yeah, I, I agree with you. And with Jessica, it was something that I have found and something that I found very unique about Dune is that as a parent, coming back to it realizing that the parents aren't these aren't like horrible you know what i mean that they're actually pretty good parents you know and that's you know you think about mythology jessica and there, we we think about all the tropes of like you know the children who just don't have parents or their parents or they're orphaned or they're dead or they're evil or something and it's like yes duke leto dies in the first spoiler alert guys <laughs> um, duke leto dies in the first third right of dune but Jessica outlives Paul in the later books, right? And she like so in a in a way as she's like this strong woman who's also a parent, and that's something that's really interesting that she's not diminished by being an older um, mother figure. She's not diminished by being the wife of Duke Leto, and she's not a you know there are questionable things that Jessica and Leto did to position Paul. You know, kind of like what are they like? Uh, uh, the college admission scandals, right? Like, where they're going to make him the quiz out Hatterack, you know, like, um, <laughs> you know, or whatever, you know, like, um, you know, he's a Nepo baby, I guess, right? In more the ways than one, you know, and like, I love that the way that they did that in the Denis movie, oh, you have more than one um, uh, uh, inheritance or whatever, you know, like he has, you know, his mother, his mother's side is actually like, I say this in the book is it's like if like Luke Skywalker's mother had lived, right? And, and, and been this interesting sort of complex force in his life pun intended um that would be that's like what dune is and like you just don't find that very often in fantasy or science fiction narratives you know where you have not only are the parents relatively good people relative to their parenting of their child but they're also just like characters in their own right you know they're not just like harry potter's parents i mean can we think of any thinner you know, characterizations, you know what I mean? Then Harry Potter's dad, who just doesn't exist, basically. You know, he's just some memory, right? Uh, and, you know, in Star Wars is guilty of that too, right? Like where it's like kind of like, oh, we didn't really care about Anakin Skywalker until the early aughts. And even then his connection as a parent to Luke is very tenuous. Um, whereas like with Paul and Alia, you know, particularly Alia's relationship with Jessica and like Children of Dune, you know, when she's grown up and she's kind of like, hey, I got all these memories from her ancestors, mom. Thanks a lot. 
<laughs> and didn't want this, you know, and then so like, and that they become kind of enemies. And that's sort of fascinating, you know, to think that you're kind of like, you're not like, ah, Jessica wasn't a bad mom. And Alia does have all these memories of like, the you know, Baron Harkonnen in her mind. Like, that's not her fault either. <laughs> you know, like you don't pass judgment on 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 the family drama, I guess. And I think that's that's something over Jen, I think you you hit like where it's like, or Jessica, you just said like it's like mythology, but it's not it's not um heavy handed. You're kind of like, well, I kind of buy that if I was a pre-born abomination, I would be a little mad at my mom, too. But as a reader, I can be like, well, Jessica's still pretty cool. You know, it's like, I guess she's, you know, in the third book, you're kind of like, I guess it's okay that she's like dating Gurney now. I guess I'm all right with that. So it's kind of realistic. You're kind of like, ah, you know, my, some of my mom's boyfriends after my dad died were a little, eh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you hit on, you hit on a lot there. And I think that is one of the things I really do like about it, um, you know, with just the whole idea of, you know, you can be a flawed person, but a good parent and vice yeah. versa. You know, it's it, it, and I like, I, I like, you know, you you can say, you can say that about other characters, you know, but like, you didn't like, and maybe it's because the books came after the movies, but you know, like Vader, you you didn't see Vader, he wasn't present enough as Anakin no. for Luke. So much that you know the characters and the parents in Dune were. So um, I think you know you just hit a really perfect nerve there. Yeah, because I think that it's also just like, if you're reading it like as a kid, you're like a teenager, you're like this, you know, you can identify if you, any gender you are, you can identify with Paul because it's a coming of age story. But then you read it as a grown up, and you're like, this is like a parenting story because Jessica's like the other protagonist. And you're like, wow, I never, you know, my wife pointed out that her favorite moment was, um, well, one of her favorite moments when we watched the Denis Villeneuve movie is like the look that jessica gives paul when he's like going to like be with cheney with zendaya right and it's kind of like that's a mom look right there you know where it's just like what yeah i'm gonna have to worry about this now you know and it's not necessarily like it's rebecca ferguson does it so well that it's not all one way right it's not like she's angry or worried or happy it's all of those things right like she conveys all of that kind of parental um you know i don't know i just think that and i think oscar isaac I got to talk to him briefly, briefly, briefly when the movie was coming out um, for Fatherly, my day job. And I just thought he, yeah, he brought his own dad powers into that role. Um, and, and, you know, and I, I, yeah, all that stuff is just, you know, people are children, but all, you know, children, you know, everyone is a, is, is a, is a, has their parents. And so I think that that's a, we get rid of parents so often in fantasy and science fiction narratives and Dune doesn't do that. Um, at all ever you know what i mean and i think that you know even irulan becoming like the um sort of foster parent to um leto and ganima in the third book is really interesting mm. right like that's a really interesting role because you know cheney and paul are dead um, you know and that's really interesting to be like she's like the aunt who was left behind um but she's also like the most successful author in dune right like she's written all these you know <laughs> I want Irulan's book deals. You know, well, I'll let you. I'll let you go now. That was fantastic. Um, and oh my gosh, what's a, like that's going to give me so much to chew on? Just like the last bit that you're talking about in parenting in Dune. So thank you so much, like for sure. writing the book, for coming to talk to us, and yeah, for everything. This is really great. <laughs> well, any any time, I'll come back. Awesome. <laughs> okay.
Listeners, it is your turn now. You must go out and get The Spice Must Flow. It's available right now. So head to your library, head to your independent bookstore, wherever you like to get your books, please go. Uh, This has been Jen and my fabulous co-host. Jessica, the librarian. (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Britt. Thank you so much for joining us. It is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.